We have a new champion in AEW while another one retains on this episode of AEW Dynamite. Let's get to that review here on the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. Ralph, we'll start with the brand new TNT champion, Wardlow, beat Scorpio Sky in what was supposed to be a street fight, but it didn't come off as a street fight. I mean, I don't even think there was a single weapon used in this match. Yes, there was a low blow by Scorpio Sky. Yes, members of American Top Team, which I'm not even sure if those were MMA guys or not. Someone can correct me in the comment section if that was the case. They got involved in this match, but other than that, it was a basic wrestling match. Nonetheless, the right guy won, won in big fashion, and they even gave him the big celebration for the win, confetti. They're making this guy look like a superstar in AEW. I love this, and for anybody that questioned the momentum after Double or Nothing, I'm sure those are answered now, right, Ralph? Uh, Honest to God, I would go as far as to say I don't think since the inception or the very start of uh, AEW, I don't know if anybody has shown more growth in terms of their ability to just get over organically um, without being somebody with any type of momentum going into AEW. Because if you think about it, this is a guy that worked... You know, when they say independent level wrestling, it's not like a Darby Allen who had a lot of buzz. It's not like a Matt Riddle or somebody of that level where it's like, okay, they're really prominent, really well known on the indie scene. They go from place to place uh, and people travel to see them and, and things like that. We're talking like a guy that was literally a body that had some maybe potential and maybe a look. And now look where he's at today. Um, so, you know, for all those people out there, including maybe even ourselves at certain times that do certainly question uh, the decisions, the booking, and whatever else in between of Tony Khan. They certainly have gotten it right with Wardlow. They certainly have gotten it right with the build of Wardlow to this point, You know whether that be his feuds uh, with, with uh, MJF or his involvement with MJF and whatever people want to say about MJF and wherever he currently is right now. Um, obviously, that feud did wonders for him. That ability to keep him on the the back burner while still making him feel like he's a legitimate threat while still being the the muscle for MJF. It obviously got him somewhere. So uh, kudos to all involved. This match was, uh, in my opinion, I thought the match was was pretty good. It wasn't it wasn't great, but it didn't necessarily need to be great. It just needed to um, make Wardlow feel special. Um, you know, Which I, it absolutely did. Absolutely. It certainly did. did. It certainly did. I, I definitely forgot that it was a street fight because I remember thinking to myself, you know, well, you know, obviously they're the the members of American Top Team, they're beating up on Wardlow. Like, why isn't the ref calling for the bell? But um yeah, because I mean, really no no weapons, nothing like that. So it was kind of strange to a certain point that they even labeled it a street fight, but I don't I really don't think that hurt the match in any way. Um and you know, for what it's worth, I guess. Credit to Scorpio Sky because, you know, he's another one of those guys that I think falls into the category of a lot of potential. It seemed like this was going to be his opportunity to get a run uh, and do something good. But I think he's one. He was obviously injured for a little bit. And two, Wardlow just got hot. He just got hot at the right time. And if he wasn't going to challenge for the title, they had to do something with him. And unfortunately, I think that kind of cut his title run short. So hopefully he can bounce back and do something. Hopefully Wardlow has a lengthy run with this TNT title and kind of brings some of that prestige back to it. Um, and yeah, we'll see. Off to the races with Wardlow. Hopefully only good things to come. Yeah, I do think Scorpio Sky is still hurt or is taking a hiatus. I don't know if you saw on Twitter. He did send a tweet out saying 
To those that supported me, thank you. To those that were against me, thank you. I'll see you all later. I think something in that realm, I don't know the word for word verbatim tweet, but it's something along those lines. So whether he's taking a hiatus to rest injuries or they're going to put him off TV to make a big comeback and be a baby face when he returns, I don't know. But I feel like Scorpio Sky is one of those underutilized talents in AEW. Like you said, a lot of potential. I just hope when he comes back, if he is going to take a hiatus, they eventually use him the right way. I don't think him being, you know, part of American top team and having Dan Lambert be his mouthpiece and Ethan page also playing second fiddle to that really did him any favors. He didn't really have a great run with either rain as TNT champion. So I hope this isn't the last time he has a title in AEW and Hopefully, you know, they build him upright just like they did with Wardlow here. So this is definitely an example of AEW doing right with Wardlow. And hopefully that momentum continues. We'll see where it progresses. We'll see what progresses with Mr. Scorpio Sky in the long run. But some guy that definitely took the ball and ran with it with a certain spot filling the void right now is Christian Cage. There hasn't been that top heel that just will say anything to get the crowd hating him since MJF left, but who's filling that void right now? And that's Christian Cage. He comes out with Luchasaurus about to start a promo. Matt Hardy interrupts that promo and the gloves come off and Christian Cage digs into Matt Hardy, basically saying that he's always looking for fame, even points at Jeff Hardy and his challenge with sobriety right now, including the current one that he's in and has actually got people on social media questioning, like did Christian cage go too far here? I mean, two weeks ago, he's talking about jungle boys, dead father doubles down on that the following week. And here we are now he's going after Jeff Hardy sobriety. And I know there's been times when WWE did this. And some people said it was in bad taste, maybe turning a blind eye on this and saying that it's good with Christian cage. So It's interesting. I think personally me, as long as all talents involved are okay with it, let them do things that will get that reaction because that's kind of what's missing in wrestling. Like having a guy that you hate so much that you want someone to beat the crap out of him. That's what MJF was before he left, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, kayfabe or non-kayfabe. Christian Cage has taken that ball and is like, yep, we don't need MJF. I'm here. Yeah, it's like Luchasaurus is the fullback, clear the path and let me run up the alley. So, yeah. um, no, I mean, Christian Cage, I think for the past three weeks, I'm pretty confident saying like he's definitely been one of the most talked about guys or had one of the most talked about segments coming out of Dynamite, you know, especially this weekend, what I would consider like a a more tame or a downer episode of Dynamite overall, um, mm-hmm. you know. And I think a part of me definitely liked this growing up and, you know, watching Christian and Edge and the Hardys and having a certain to- sort of bias for uh, the Attitude Era or post-Attitude Era, whatever you want to call it. So um, obviously I like this segment. I think that Luchasaurus, his whole new presence, even though I'm not totally sold on just the the darker mask and all that stuff, I, I wish they would take the mask off him and treat him more of like a more serious muscle. It's not a necessity, but at the very least, he definitely looks like a badass still. So, right. um, and yeah, I, I mean, there's nothing else left to say. Christian is continuing to, 
uh, kill it in this role where he's legitimately given the ball and asked to run with it. And he's certainly doing it every, every single week. So um, yeah, good. He's do he's, he's filling the void where MJF uh, left off, so to speak. And who knows what's going to happen with MJF, but Christian cage is doing, you know, maybe the best work of his late career um, mm -hmm. and going to be given an opportunity that he wouldn't necessarily have gotten perhaps in WWE. Now I know, a couple weeks ago when he first started laying these big promos, he did kind of maybe hint of a future program with MJF. So maybe this is something that they, they talk about in that, that feud, if it comes to fruition in AEW where like, you know, Christian Cage just says, listen, MJF, we don't need you. And somehow MJF becomes a baby face in that feud. So it'd be interesting to see how that develops. And of course the evolution pun intended with Luchasaurus as a heel now is great. And we'll see what this leads to with, with Matt Hardy. I think this is kind of a good first storyline with Christian cage as a big heel that'll eventually lead to jungle boy when he returns from injury. So I, I think he's knocking it out of the park right now. If you're upset with Christian cage for saying the things he is saying, I think that's, you know, what he's supposed to do. It might be in poor taste, but that's what heels have to do. That's why they're heels. And I think we just have to kind of, you know, just not get so serious sometimes when we're watching these shows. But that's just me. I'm sure people disagree with me on that. But let's move on. We had a Swerve in their glory or Swerve in his glory, whatever the name of that tag team is. Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee beating the Butcher and the Blade in a pretty solid tag team match. But afterwards, we have Powerhouse Hob and Ricky Starks come out saying that they're dodging them. You know, you guys come out here. You want to be the best tag team, but we're the best tag team. But before they can even finish the sentence, boom, out come the Young Bucks and talking about how great the tag team division is and how everyone's eating well. But the Young Bucks were the ones that set that table. In fact, they're the ones that started this company. They're the best tag team in the world. And of course, the fans disagree with constant FTR chants, which, you know, Nick Jackson does a great job counteracting by saying, Hey, we already beat them. We're better than them. We beat them. So we do end up finding out that there's going to be a triple threat match next week on night one of Fighter Fest, a triple or nothing. So instead of Jurassic Express in the triple threat match, it will be the Young Bucks against Starks and Hobbs and Swerve and Keith Lee. I think the Young Bucks are obviously going to win this match, but did this plant the seed for the eventual Bucks FTR three at all out? Uh, I think it I think it certainly has to happen for starters. I think that there's a very distinct reason that they're being kept apart, at least for right now. I think there's a reason why FTR is going to be rematching the Briscoes, uh, the second match after their epic first one. The um, the follow up match from that, I'm assuming what I, what I would assume is going to happen unless they're going to tr try to do something really big where it's going to be Briscoes, FTR and and uh, Young Bucks. I, I doubt, doubt that it. happens. Doubt it, but at the same time, I think what's we're going to end up getting is another FTR win, and then they're obviously going to face uh, the Young Bucks. So, um, yeah, I match itself, you know, okay for what it was. It's I think at this point in the show, it was a lot of dealing with like the the B team, like the JV, and not to say that none of the people that were on TV didn't have the talent to be like you know main roster or perform at an A level. It's just that. You know, they've definitely taken a backseat to some of the people that are 
the the true main eventers there or the people that are normally in the in the higher spots. You know, they have a lot of people that are injured. You look at, you know, your Kenny Omegas, your Adam Coles, uh, whoever, you know, Ryan some Daniels of those guys. That, CM Punk. Yeah. Some of the guys that are normally going to be on TV week in and week out. Well, now they're really s- scraping to try and put people on TV and somebody like a Keith Lee and a Swerve uh, Strickland who you know came in with a lot of hype and a lot of momentum behind them only need to be regulated to like rampage every other week. Uh, or, you know, I think even this past week they were on like dark, I think. Um, but they were both in the, the Royal rampage match. Yeah. So and, were the and butcher the, and the blade. Sure. But this is, I think my point is this, like when you're in a prominent storyline, Christian cage, we just talked about him. He's been on three weeks in a row, cutting very good promos and it's very clear that he's a focal point where they want you to pay attention to him going back four mm-hmm. weeks to when he eventually turned on jungle boy with Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee. It's like, okay, they teased the tension between the two in the battle Royal. That was however many weeks ago, they weren't really on dynamite. Now they're back to it. So it's like missing a week in between. And it's like, there's not as much consistency there. So it's kind of like, all right, how invested can you really be? And I felt like that was the story of, the rest of the night kind of straight through, um, you know, so it was what it was. I think the bucks are probably going to win that triple threat match. I, I we will see if, if Starks and Hobbs or swerve and Lee end up winning that match, I would be shocked as all hell because at this point you have to revisit bucks and FTR. And I think this segment here just basically told you that's where we're going with this. And that's what the fans want because the fans want FTR to win literally every tag team title they can get their hands on. And even if Tony Khan can find a way to make an AEW-WWE joint show, have them beat the Usos for the Unified Tag Team Championships just so that they can hold every single title in professional wrestling and like really solidify them as the best tag team in the world. And it's hard right now to disagree with that statement that FTR is the best tag team in the world, but let's move on to the next segment here, Ralph. There's a lot of speculation going on with one of the big factions in all elite wrestling. Are they going to get split up? Because we've heard that this guy's contract ran out and he's gone. He's doing independent shows. This guy he's gone. And now he's an impact wrestling. This guy just got saved from being let go. And the AEW roster was like, no, 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 we need to keep him. So now he's signed to possibly be a part of Ring of Honor. Of course, I'm talking about the Dark Order. We were wondering what is going to happen with the Dark Order now that Stu Grayson's gone, now that Alan Angels is gone. Where the heck was Colt Cabana last night? Turns to find out. So we have the six remaining members of the Dark Order, including Brody Lee's son, negative one, Brody Jr. there. In fact, it's in Rochester, so obviously that, Oh, it has the tie-in as well. Evil Uno goes out there and he says, listen, Dark Order is forever. We're staying. The crowd gives a big pop to it. QT Marshall comes out and he's like, enough with the sad sop story. You know, no one cares about Brody Lee Jr. Hangman Page comes in for the save. And that's pretty much the segment there. So, I mean, I'm not as negative about the Dark Order as some people are. I think there's a place for them. I wish... You know, as far as tag teams, Grayson and Uno were one of the better tag teams with AEW first started. And the fact that they never got a real push in the tag team division is sad. And we're not going to get that now that Stu Grayson's gone. But I want to see where this goes with the Dark Order. 
Are they going to find a new leader? Are they just going to be, you know, friends of Hangman Page? What happens with Hangman Page? And is this going to lead to some storyline with the factory? I kind of hope not, but as long as Hangman Page is on TV, it's better than nothing. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll go that route where Hangman's back kind of in the group or they're teasing that. Because um, I, I think that at this point, being a former world champion, I think Hangman Page has outgrown the Dark Order, especially considering, you know, from what the Dark Order was, it's de- whatever they're going to be doing going forward, it's going to be a very different group of guys in faction. And who knows if they're even going to be uh, together as a, as a group or whatever ends up happening in the future. So um, there's always going to be the rumors that float around with Bray Wyatt potentially coming in and being the leader of that group. Right. I doubt it. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. It's just another of those things like hard to get invested in because again, like when's the last time they actually did something that you cared about, you know, right. granted, I guess it's like a feel good thing because obviously they're in the hometown of uh, Brody Lee, uh, Mr. Brody Lee and Brody Lee Jr. is there. So, you know, good. I think it's good that they went out there and did that. Um, but I, I don't know what they're going to do, like kind of going forward, especially now, because as we keep talking about, the more like higher profiled guys you add to your roster. Yep. Cesaro's there now. Eddie Kingston's super over. Um, it's not like that group has one guy that's super over like Brody, uh, Mr. Brody Lee was, that's gonna right. carry them forward. So, right. That's I don't know. True. I mean, there's a lot of people that are behind, you know, John Silver, but John Silver is not Brody Lee, you know, but still we'll see where this develops. And uh, I mean, like I said, I'm not negative towards the dark order. Like others, I'd like to see more of them. I think evil Uno is a pretty good tag team wrestler and, you know, Preston Vance has done well in his time there. And John Silver, like I said, is popular and Reynolds is good as well. So, I mean, time will tell where this which leads to the dark order, but you talk about guys that, you know, they keep adding to this roster and one that just made his in-ring AEW debut last night was Roosh against Penta Oscuro. And if there was any match that I think was match of the night last night, I think it was this one. These two just slapped the hell out of each other. And for one that, you know, the reputation of Lucha Libre being very high in gymnastics and flips and flops and dives and all that stuff, this match was far from that, you know, and not what I was expecting. And it was a very, very good match. And of course, the end, because the storyline right now is Roosh keeps stealing the masks of Ray Phoenix and Penta. He steals the mask again from Penta, goes for the roll-up, one, two, three, and Roosh wins his AEW Dynamite debut. I thought, like I said, was a really, really good match. I actually liked the commentary in this, too, where Andrade was getting involved, and Jim Ross is like, the ref shouldn't even be asking Andrade if he got involved because he's going to lie anyway. I thought that was a great line by Jim Ross there. So, And, of course, Excalibur bringing up the fact that stealing the mask is like the biggest no-no in Lucha Libre. So that you know, added to the drama as well. So obviously this is not over. It progressed the storyline and a great way to showcase Roosh in his AEW dynamite debut. Yeah. I actually, you know, I, I did like this, this match. Um, you know, I definitely was a lot more hard hitting than I anticipated. The one thing Mm -hmm. that I, um, I know it's a part of the storyline, but honestly, how many times are we going to see either Ray Phoenix or Penta's mask get ripped off? And that leads to, 
them losing a match. We've seen it at least three or four so times, times now. So many times now. And it's like, okay, we get it. Like, that's going to be the thing that's going to lead to their downfall. But you can't make them do it. You, it can't be a part of the end of their matches, like literally a handful of times that you can remember. Like once in a while, okay. But, you know, so that was kind of unfortunate. But um, match itself, I thought was good. Yeah. I, I wonder if because they keep stealing the mask, if this is going to lead to a match down the line where they put their masks on the line, like in Lucha Libre. So if, if Ray and Penta put their masks on the line against Andrade and Roosh, maybe it all out, maybe at one of the fighter fests, if they're doing the two night thing or a battle of the belts or something like that. I, I could totally see that happening, especially with the mask being so heavily involved in this story. So early on right now, let it be an all out match. Ray and yeah. Lucha brothers versus Roosh and, and Andrade with the masks on the line, maybe masks versus hair. I know that's typically how they do it in Lucha Libre, if I'm not mistaken. So why not? I say that's the way they go. And maybe that is the way they go. But next up, we have the ultimate betrayal, Ralph. The gun club portrayed the acclaimed after mm. their eight man tag against Leon Ruffin and uh, Fuego del Sol in bear country. Austin Gunn steals the win from Max Caster after tagging himself in when Caster went for the mic drop. There's a little bit of miss, you know, back and forth. The guns attack the acclaim. Billy Gunn comes in, yells at Austin and Colton, like, knock it off, knock it off. He turns around and goes after Max Caster. Anthony Bowens, who's back from injury now, he slowly gets up, asks for daddy ass to scissor him. Doesn't happen. He gets attacked too, gets a famouser. Damn it. Damn it. I think they kind of jumped the gun with this story. They really did. Like they took, they could have built this, I think to a, a two or three month program. And just because Anthony Bowens is back, they just fast forward right to a huge storyline like that. I felt it was heavily rushed. They could have really spaced this thing out, but instead here we are. They're already broken up. Yeah, uh, I definitely think they were starting to. I, first of all, I think I said this last week. I think that the acclaimed and more specifically Max Caster has been one of those things that the crowd certainly looks forward to week in and week out. And I think that they definitely had something there, the dynamic between the two groups together. Mm -hmm. you no, know, I definitely think they're splitting them up a little prematurely and they could have built towards this. But, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. Um, again, the gun club. What are they, they going to do with them? You know, build them up. Like, could they actually end up being a tag team? That's a legitimate. They're, they're one of those teams that maybe because of who their father is, like they actually try to get heat. Like they're not trying to get cheered as heels. Mm -hmm. They're trying to be the team that pisses people off. Right. Um, and you could tell that by the way they carry themselves, not just in the ring, but even like last night when they came out and they took the microphone right, right away from Max Caster immediately got heat for that. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how much longer this feud goes considering they already kind of like fast forward this. But anyway, we have our women's match of the week. Thunderstorm, Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm against Nyla Rose and Marina Shafir. Not much to talk about with this match as Thunderstorm wins this one. And I mean, what happens next? I mean, Tony Storm is still the number one ranked women's wrestler on AEW's rankings and Tony uh, Thunder Rosa is still the women's champion. 
They had a decent match at Forbidden Door. What's next? I, I mean, I, they can't just keep having match after match after match and just build this thing as a tag team and then just split them. I mean, what can they do? It kind of makes I me think like it, after watching this match, I kind of thought about it and was like, they keep adding a lot of women. And a lot of these women right now in AEW are paired off with at least somebody else. You got Britt and Jamie Hayter. You got Thunderstorm. You got Nyla and Marina. You got uh, Serena Deeb and Martinez. You have Hayter and uh, Britt Baker. So maybe not by like fully forcing it on, Tony Khan is slowly building a women's tag team division. And maybe that's the way they could get more women on television and actually get them more roles and actually put some, you know, emphasis in their storytelling through these factions and tag teams like they do in the men's division. I, I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now with Thunderstorm is maybe this is the start of their tag team division. Well, I said several months ago, I would definitely much prefer to see a women's tag team division in AEW before I ever saw a trios tag team division or trios division, whatever the hell it's going to be called. So right. um, I would definitely be for that. Um, I don't know where they're going to go with this as a, them working as a tag team, especially considering, you know, Ruby Soho as one of the, I guess you would consider one of the top tier women in AEW, one of the more prominent names in AEW, at least for the women's division is maybe written off for some time. Who knows? Um, after the, the attack last night. So <laughs> if you want to call it an attack, it was more like she walked into it. Well, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about that. You know what one. that spot that reminded rough. me of? You know what that spot reminded me of? And someone put it on Twitter and it clicked easily. Remember in Austin Powers where the security guard is trying to stop Austin Powers from the, um, what the heck's that machine? Whatever that machine is Steamroller. Steamroller. Thank you. And he's just like, no, and it takes like 20 seconds. He still gets crushed by the steamroller. That's kind of what it was like. <laughs> More or less. I mean, I actually... So I read that on Twitter, not that specific thing, but I read about how bad it was perceived or how it looked on TV. And then I watched it and I was like, oh boy, yeah, that was actually pretty bad. Um, I don't know what to say about that one. I, I, that's really one of those ones where it's kind of like whether it was WWE or whether it was AEW, it's going to look bad either way. So might as well give the fair criticism while you can. Yep, exactly. But let's head on to the main event. John Moxley and Brody King. Brody King winning the Royal Rampage the previous Friday night in a very impressive way by, you know, choking out Darby Allen and just kind of dropping him to the floor. And, you know, William Regal does a very good job putting over Brody Lee and commentary in this match, basically saying, like, listen, I can't really figure out Brody Lee and that kind of scares me here in this match against John Moxley and you know possibly beating John Moxley because he's just so tough and you know that sleeper hold he does it so perfectly how can you know Moxley beat him you know and it was a pretty physical match and you know Brody Lee did his job and beating the hell out of Moxley but in the end Moxley does get the uh sleeper hold on Brody King and passes him out for the victory so after all this talk about Brody Lee's sleeper, it's Moxley's sleeper that gets the win here for his first defense as the interim AEW World Champion. I mean, it's an impressive, it's an impressive win for Brody King or for John Moxley against Brody King. And I know some people when this match became official, 
they're thinking, oh, we're going to see Blackpool Combat Club versus House of Black. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, not for nothing. How many people thought Brody King would get a world title match before Malachi Black? I can't think of the last relevant thing that Malachi Black has done other than cut some promos ever since Cody left. Well, hold on. Let, let's let's see what he does with Miro because that was a very good video package with Miro and teasing that whole Malachi a good Black package. feud. So I, I think that's going to be a very, very good feud for the summer. Malachi Black versus Miro. So... It's not like I'm totally writing off Malachi Black. I'm just a little shocked he didn't get this match before Brody King. And I know Brody King, like, they gave him one of the big, like, lights out surprises and, like, oh, my God, who's this guy? And, you know, fans were crazy for it. And those that are anti-AEW are like, well, no one knows who Brody King is. I mean, he got a chance to showcase himself, and I think he did a pretty good job nonetheless. Well, the one thing that I'm shocked by is this. You actually pulled the Jim Ross and you referred to him as Brody Lee four separate times about a couple minutes ago. So I'm sorry, you'll Brody King. That, you'll realize that when you watch it back. But um, yeah, this again, this is, it's going to be one of those main events that's not going to please everybody. But at the same time, what do you expect? John Moxley or AEW for that matter can't go out there and have their world champion just wrestle the top 10 guys every single week, week in, week out. Now, Cesaro said this, and you and I have talked about this before. Uh, rankings are supposed to matter in AEW. Mm -hmm. They continue to have to try and do things to work around their ranking system because Brody King, to my knowledge, at, I don't know. I wouldn't imagine he was ranked at least not based on what I've normally seen. No, so he obviously won the battle battle Royal there to get this opportunity, right. which is fine. Um, but, Realistically, I don't think anybody thought Brody King stood a chance in this match. Right. Match itself was fine. Not saying it was bad. Um, but yeah, this is I think this is one of those transitional down dynamites that we tend to get every couple months, and then next week I imagine they'll they'll pick it back up. The one thing that I am surprised about since we're talking about Miro, House of Black, and all this stuff, is Pac injured. Because Pac had no. finally won a championship, and I don't know where the hell that guy has been. Pac is actually, I believe he's in the UK because they announced his first defense, which is not going to be an AEW. His first defense for the All-Atlantic Championship is going to going to be against Shota Amino in a British promotion. I forget which promotion it is, but I think that's where he is right now. In okay. the, he's, well, he's across the ocean defending that title in a different promotion. If I'm a video package, not, something that would have been nice. Yes. But if he's not in the United States, how are they supposed to film the video package? Unless he gets his own cell phone. Really? And, you work in television and production. You don't think that we have the technology and capability. We have the to, technology, to film a but video package. We have the technology, but it also requires manpower. Is AEW going to send people to the UK just to film a three minute video package? Well, Tony Khan's a billionaire. No, Yes, but he's not going to foolishly spend money. Oh, you mean business doesn't work that way? You can't just say, oh, well, I'm a billionaire, so you know, I'll pay for that. Right. I mean, you, you bring up a good point, I will say. They could have at least talked about how Pac is going to be defending the title against Shota Amino, and people would be like, oh, my God, they're doing this is what the title's all about. It's like a, a traveling championship, and that's why it's called the uh. All-Atlantic Championship. But 
Well, this was a, this was a this was a cooler episode, a stinker. No Britt Baker, no Adam Cole, no Brian Danielson, no CM Punk, no Pack, no Bueno, no star power. It it shows like they're hurting in the star power realm. And it, it's and not it, that they lack talent. It's the same thing to a certain extent that same thing that WWE has, right? Because people are, have been critical about this for years. WWE has their top guys that are always, they're always going to position to make to feel special that they're going to try to build the show around. Mm-hmm. AW does assume the same thing. And when those guys aren't there, it sticks out and you right. have to have people step up. And, you know, maybe three weeks from now, we'll be talking about, uh, well, Christian obviously stepped up. Well, maybe three weeks from now, we'll be talking about how Keith Lee has a much bigger role or Roosh or, uh, I don't know, Darby Allen, somebody the same way we're talking about, you know, Zeke and Kevin Owens and Matt Riddle, guys like that. So next man we'll up, see. this is, this is AEW's time for next man up. Christian Cage Has is taking be. that ball, you know, Wardlow, it's his time to shine right now. Eddie Kingston has definitely gotten to be one of the more over guys. Everyone's saying Orange Cassidy's a main eventer. Now's your chance, Orange Cassidy. Come on. Here it is. Everyone else is gone. There's a spot for you in the main event. Put them in there. Test them out. We'll see. But if you missed our Blood and Guts review, you can click the thumbnail on the screen right now to check that out. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Squared Circle Psycho Babble.